Let's get started. Welcome, welcome to a very beautiful night. Very good to be here. I'll tell you what, some of us came back from Giant Friends and uh, it was 110 degrees one day. Three days, Three days. So I came outside today. I was like, whoa, it's, it's a really nice day outside. And I checked the weather, it's 83 degrees. So I've been conditioned for the, uh, the, the summer heat. So very excited. Uh, tonight, we're in First Timothy. Three. Philippines. So turn your Bibles there. There's no PowerPoint like we usually have. We're doing the old-fashioned way. Just with your Bibles and your phone Bibles. Similar things. Uh, tonight we're just hanging out, enjoying the beautiful weather. I mean, it is a gorgeous night. So we'll be uh, chit-chatting, hanging out. Next week is our off week, and we're going to have an activity probably here. It's going to be our ice cream social. Okay? So, uh, I will post some details on the home church page sometime soon, Fellowship Group page. Uh, but, you know, we'll, we'll probably have people bring some ice cream, I imagine, for us from Social. So, stay tuned for that. Um, probably be preparing yourselves for about a month from now. We're going to have a softball game, a fusion oh, softball wow. game. So game if you over. If you don't have any gear, prepare yourselves. That's all I'm saying. Because we're going to be throwing down. I'm going to be like a coach or something. I don't know what I'm going to do, but we'll figure that out. Very exciting. Um, this Saturday is our central teaching. If you've ever been to central teaching before, it's basically just uh, all of our, so this is one sphere of our whole church. We have like, I don't know, 15 spheres probably. We all get together Saturdays at 6 p.m. inside. This Saturday is going to be very cool because it's going to be a film festival fundraiser at uh, like 8 or 9. So if you want to come and see some homemade films that people have made that are, are probably really cringy, uh, highly recommend it. It's very, very fun. I think it's like five bucks to attend, but it's it's going towards people who are going to volunteer down your friends with some of us went to. Um, so it's for a good cause, but also it's for some great giggles for sure. So uh, I don't think I'm missing anything else, am I? Any other announcements? Uh, tubing. Tubing! That's right. When is that? Yep. Uh, Craig, when is that? July 4th. 4th of July! 4th of July. That's the river float, right? You want me to put an announcement real quick about that? Catching the river. Very good. All right, so Rich and Terry teach tonight. Uh, I believe Rich is up first. Yes. Terry's up first. Yeah, I'm first. <laughs> you want to oh, we're first? good? Oh, okay. You, yeah, yeah. you want to first? You got it. I got it. I got it. Right, he's, he's got it. All right. Wow, thank you for such a warm welcome. Very good. <laughs> good to see everybody here. Back in First Timothy. Now, uh, so I was looking over some... Research as I do on the reg. So Pew Survey done, I think, a couple years ago. It was titled Trust in Key Leadership Groups. And so basically the Pew Research team got together and they, they interviewed people and asked, uh, based on nine different key leadership positions, how much do you trust them? Do you trust them a lot? Do you trust them somewhat? Do you trust them not 
almost at all. And they kind of rank those answers and they average them out. And so here is what the results were. Can you guess who was at the top? Teachers. Wrong. Wrong. Scientists. Oh. <laughs> Most trusted. You got to trust the science. What year was this? This was two years ago. Okay. Oh, uh, this is the most recent I found. Them. During the COVID. Right during the COVID. Next was the military. Very surprising. People trust the military. Third was public school principals. So you got your little kindergarten principals. They're pretty trustworthy. This was a real shocking one. Fourth was police. Ooh. That's pretty high up, though. That's pretty good. Fifth, college professors. Six, religious leaders. Seventh, journalists. Eighth, business CEOs. And very last place, elected officials. Oh, yes. <laughs> Huge dive bomb there. And so we see in our culture, really all over the world, a real kind of skepticism of leadership. You know, why does anybody want to be a leader? What's the motivation behind it? Is it all about them and what they can get? Um, and so why trust leadership? What's the point of it? Why should we even trust it? Why even be a leader? So that's what we're going to look at today in 1 Timothy chapter 3, is what God's definition of leadership is, or really authority is. And specifically two offices that God has basically set up in a position of leadership. So before we pray, I'm going to hand out some verses. We usually have a fancy, fancy PowerPoint, but we don't have TV yet. So we're going to do the old-fashioned way and read out our Bibles. Who can get, who can be in 1 Timothy 1? All right, Evan. Who can be in 1 Timothy 2? Angie. Who wants to be our 1 Timothy 3 reader? Lindsay. I got a lot here. I got a lot here. Mark 10. Who can get that? All right, Brenda, you're going to get 42 through 45, but not all at once. I'll let you know. Okay. Uh, Isaiah 14, 13 oh. and 14. This one's a doozy. Who else can volunteer for us to read? Josh. Very good. So Isaiah 14, 13 and 14. Oh, Jamie, 14, 13, Jamie, you can get First Peter 2.25. You got a few more. Oh, I'll do it. I got it. Carlel, yeah. Titus 1, verse 5 and 7. Lenny, Acts 20. You're going to be in there twice. So this first one's going to be 17 and 28. I'll let you know the next one. And then we got one more. John Hennis, my man. Acts chapter 6, verse 4. Acts chapter 6, verse 4. Acts 6, verse 4. Write it down? Okay. Very good. So why don't we get uh, before the Lord and uh, pray before we get started? So come, let's pray and I can close it out. Lord, thank you for this beautiful day. So nice to be outside and uh, be able to fellowship with. Uh, Thank you for uh, uh, just helping Rich and Terry prepare this teaching. I pray you uh, make it clear what you want us to hear tonight. And uh, I'm excited to dig in your word. And uh, I just pray for some uh, good fellowship afterwards. Father, I want to thank you that um, you use people. Uh, that's kind of what this is talking about, is that there's leaders and 
that you use people to do your will and your work. Um, I pray that you can be uh, speaking for Rich and Harry tonight, that we can understand more about that and why we should trust the leadership that you place. Um, and that we can have a really fun time hanging out and talking about it more. Lovely Father, what a privilege and honor it is to get together and study your word. Uh, thank you, God, for handing down your word to us and learn from it to change our hearts. Uh, we just invite you in uh, with us here, Lord. Uh, we just pray, God, that your spirit be here, just convicting our hearts on this. Trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am the foremost of all. Right. Trustworthy statement. Boom. Another big point here. Take it to the bank. You can cash this in with the Lord. Jesus died for sinners. Guess what? We're all sinners. Jesus saved us. That was his whole goal and purpose here when he came to earth, was to save us from our sins. That's why he came, to save sinners. Chapter 2, I believe Craig and Evan talked about the importance of prayer, who and what to pray for. So, chapter 2, verse 4. Who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So, this is one of the big Pauls that, uh, big, big Pauls, big prayers <laughs> that Paul was saying. You know, we should be praying for elected officials and praying for this and that. Also, pray that many people can come to know the name of Jesus. This is something we should be praying for. Um, then we talked about a controversial issue, right? Can women lead and teach in the church? Turns out, yes. And the context there was Paul was writing in the context of marriage, right? So the husband is the head, and the wife is being submission to the marriage. That's the husband-wife paradigm. So that's a set of authority that God's given. 
So Paul is going to continue on in chapter 3 here. And he's going to talk about leadership and authority in our fellowship or in our church. So, without further ado, 1 Timothy oh. chapter 3, verse 1. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to be the op- aspires to the office of overseer, it then must be... I'm sorry. It is a fine work he desires to do. Yes, if you aspire to this office, it's a fine work that you do and oversee. So before we get into whatever that means, all right, we've got to talk about authority. Because right? this is a leadership position here. Authority is probably one of the central issues in the universe itself, especially when it comes to the Bible. Authority is important. Who has the right to be in charge? Who is in charge? Jesus talks about this in Mark chapter 10. So I think that was good Mark 10. Oh, Brenda, that's right. Can you get just verse 42 for now? Uh, calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. So Jesus starts here talking to disciples. You know it's this way. There's no... There's no explaining this. You guys already know how these the rulers of the world ha- uh, wield their authority. They crush people, right? They cr- they um, stop on them. They lord it over them. They say, "I'm in authority, and you're not." They flaunt it, crushing people under feet. This is basically what our world has to offer with leadership. Okay, people rise to authority who actually aren't worthy of it. This happens all the time. Why they're in authority is they have power. A lot of times they have wealth. You, know, you think about the past couple presidents. You know, it seems like people are kind of voting like, I definitely don't want this guy. And so I guess I'll vote for this guy. And you look at them and it's like, were they actually worthy of the office? Or are they powerful and rich and they have a lot of money? That's probably more likely. Right? That's the kind of leaders that we have in the world. Not really worthy of it, but because they're powerful. <laughs> They have resources on their hand. They're not afraid to flaunt it to get what they want. Uh, God talks about this in Isaiah 14. This is Josh 13 and 14. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above all the stars of God, and I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, and I will make myself the most high. Good. So this is actually referring to Satan. Satan said this in his own heart before he was rebelling against God. I will. I will accomplish these things. I will ascend to the highest mountain. I will do this. I will have this power. I will be like God himself. This is basically the leadership we see in the world, right? I will dominate. You will listen to me. This is leadership in the world. God's leadership, his spiritual authority, is totally different. Brenda, can you get verse 43 through 45 in Mark 10? But it is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Excellent. So you see, the world's leadership is crushing, I'm dominating you, I will be in control, I will be in authority. God's leadership, God's authority is, no, no, this, my authority comes from loving. My authority is benevolent. 
It is good for you. It is for your benefit that I'm leaving. And Brenda said there in Mark 10, you know, Jesus didn't come to be served, but rather to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Can you imagine your CEO? Okay, I've met my CEO one time in person. I'd be surprised he remembers my name. He probably definitely does not. Imagine your CEO knows you by name, and guess what? He loves you. He actually, factually loves you. Not because of your performance and how much money you can make him, no, or how good of a job you're doing. He loves you despite all of that. And in fact, he's willing to serve you as much as he can. He's willing to promote you, to do everything in his power so that you're okay, to lift you up, to exalt you. This is the kind of authority that we're under, brothers and sisters. We're under the authority of Jesus Christ. And that happens because God died for us. He went to the cross for our sins. He loved us, and he died for us. And so if you're here tonight, and you're visiting here, it's good to see you. Thanks for coming. God's message to you is, we all got to come humbly before the cross. we got to humble ourselves before him. It says in, uh, I think, James, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so God wants to give you some grace here tonight. Grace means an undeserved gift. The undeserved gift is the forgiveness of your sins. God wants to forgive you. Won't you come humbly before the Lord here tonight and repent? All that means is to change your mind. You're doing things your own way, under your own authority, under your own will. And come before Jesus. He wants to forgive you. He wants to lift you up. He wants to empower you to have your sins forgiven. So that's the two ends of the spectrum there. There's the worldly authority crushing and dominating. And there's Jesus Christ's authority, which is love. I didn't come to be served, but to serve you and to give my life for you. This is real authority. This is godly authority. And so you might be asking, Rich, I'm like, yes. How does the spiritual authority work uh, in the church, right, in the body of Christ? How does it work then? So God's authority, you can think of it kind of like a flattened hierarchy. So if you've ever been, I don't know if you've ever seen like your your company's like uh, organizational chart and hierarchy, right? You got the CEO at the top, and you got the VPs and the directors and COOs and whatever. And then you got some, then you got some kind of lower level people, higher management, and you got middle management. Then you got the workers, and you got the really low workers. You know, like the huge organizational chart, and it's like, you're in charge of me, but you're not in charge of them, but you're still a tier higher than me. No, no, no. In the Jesus Christ model, bless you, it's flattened. It's Jesus at the top, he's the boss, and here's the rest of us. We're all under Jesus Christ. Christ is the CEO, so to speak. Christ is the head of this church, and we're all under his authority. Ephesians 4, I didn't get this out because it's a pretty long passage, so I'm going to kind of summarize it. 11 through 15, you can check me if you want. In verse 11, it says, He gave some as pastors, which means kind of shepherds, we're talking about here tonight, a leader or a teacher, for the equipping of the saints until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity, to the measure of the statutes which belong to the fullness of Christ. Speaking the truth in love, we, i.e. all of us, every single believer ever, are to grow up into Jesus 
who is the head, even Christ. So Paul, the, the book that we studied right before this in Ephesians, is saying Jesus is the head. He is the one causing all this to happen, all this to work. Jesus is our boss. Our church here, you know, our, our home church here and our fellowship group, our whole church, is not working because the elders and the deacons and the leaders are really, really smart and really, really good and really, really talented. And we're geniuses and we're pulling the strings, we're planning so well. If you know anything about us, planning is not really our thing. <laughs> July 4th in a couple weeks. Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. That was, that was bad. I'm sorry. Uh, it's not because we're geniuses we got everything all together it's because Jesus Christ is our boss and we're all contributing towards the kingdom of God we're all working together each of us, hand in hand God says when you come to get to know him when you're forgiven of your sins God not only gives you the Holy Spirit who is a, a seal of promise that no matter what you do from here on out you're going to, be, you're going to heaven all of your sins are forgiven he says he gives you at least one gift, one spiritual gift. Some people, more than one gift. Because God has a role for you to play. In Ephesians 2, God calls us his masterpiece, that he's prepared good works for us to walk in beforehand, which is great. And so all God is asking for us to do is become available to him. That yes, I trust in you, Lord. I trust in what you've given me to do. You're the boss. I'm following your loving authority. God kind of showed me this at uh, Johnny and Friends, so I know some of Tim's going to kind of come up later and talk about this. Um, so I won't talk about it too much, but Johnny and Friends, basically it's a camp that we go to, and uh, families with uh, children or sometimes adults with disabilities come to this camp. And people come in, and we, we serve the parents, and we serve the kids. And it's like, a, it's like what, four or five days long? Right? Four, five minutes. Five minutes. We'll say five. Five minutes. And uh, you're paired up with a camper. Um, and so I was paired up with a six-year-old, um, severe autism, nonverbal. And it was pretty tough. Oh, my Lord. The first night, we were not clicking. Well, at the end of the night, it started to get better. But at first, he jumped in the swimming pool, and just, and just as uneasy, just stripped down and jumped right in. I'm like, ah. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> but the Lord had humbled me that night, or the next morning, I think, because... Uh, you know, God, I think God's given me certain gifts. What he's not gifted me with is the gift of mercy or the gift of helps. And none of my giftings that I'm so confident in help me at all love this guy. Nothing. Not my teaching ability, not my leading ability, not my ability to give the gospel. Nothing. Nothing was, none of my gifts that God had given me was serving this kid. And so I put myself before the Lord, humble myself, and say, God, I need you. I can't do this on my own. That's what God is looking for with us. All right? He's looking for somebody who is willing to do his will. God does the equipping. He is the head. He is the CEO. He's going to direct each and every one of our hearts to be doing something. And that's a lot of people here tonight. A lot of us are available to Jesus. They have been, you know, in discipleships. We're sacrificing week after week or every other week. You know, studying, preparing, raising other people. Some people are in hospice, like a hospice ministry. Or like an old folks home. Loving, serving, teaching the Bible there. So a lot of people volunteer to teach this, right? You don't get paid for that. I don't get paid for this. 
that's okay. Right? It's God who's, who's doing that, leading that. Some of us are leading our prayer group meeting. Some of us are involved in respite ministry. That's super cool. Big brothers, big sisters, whatever. There's so many things that people are volunteering for that are trying to love other people on. It's all in the authority of Jesus Christ. Praise God. That is really cool. May we keep that up. And so if any of us here, if we, any of us see a need to be met, or maybe has an idea of how to meet it, you might ask yourself, how can we contribute towards that? Who do we go for resources? How can we make something happen? And that's 1 Timothy 3.1. Can somebody get that again? Who had 1 Timothy 3? That was me. Yeah, go ahead. Read that again. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. Okay. So this is leadership here. Remember, flattened hierarchy, so it's Jesus and the rest of us. But that doesn't mean that the church is supposed to be in chaos. Right? God has an order to things. He has developed things in a certain way. And so he's given what's called overseers here, a position of authority. And we're going to read more in this passage, kind of what uh, character qualities and things like that. Terry's going to get into that. Just a quick point, though. Church history, pretty corrupt leadership. Terrible things. You have positions that are not even in the Bible. You know, cardinal, bishops, priests, archbishops, the Pope. They're all extra biblical. I don't mean extra spiritual, like they're extra real doing the Bible. No, no, no. I mean it's not the Bible at all. These positions of authority. Right? This is kind of looking like a CEO company kind of thing. Where there's a bunch of people higher up than you, and you're a little piano at the bottom. God gives two positions of authority and leadership in a fellowship or in a church, in a single church. Those are overseers or elders and deacons. You kind of think of it as, you know, a large family. I, I had, you know, I had two other brothers. Uh, maybe so maybe some of you older siblings can relate to this, but you know, sometimes you gotta watch over the younger ones, right? Sometimes your parents are going to the grocery store, are like, I don't want to take your little brother because he kind of loses it. And so you're in charge. Right? You're going you're gonna to take care of your little brother. You're going to make sure they don't get in any trouble or burn the house down. <laughs> That's kind of how it is with elders and overseers, right? We're all under Christ. They're not better than us. They're not like super, super, super awesome, right? They're the same all of us. They've been forgiven by Christ, just like every single one of us. But God gives a, an authority to them. Now, the Greek word here, it says an overseer, right? If any man aspires to overseer. Uh, this is the word, the Greek word, episkopos. Epi means over. Skopos means to see. So it's a transliterated word, overseer. They literally oversee what's going on in the church, in their church. Not several other churches, fellowship groups. Their, whole, their own church. It's the same word here in 1 Peter 2, 25. Who can get that for me? Yeah. 1 Peter 2? Yep, 2, 25. Uh, for you were continually straying like sheep, and now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Yeah, so shepherd is sort of, uh, you know, Similar to overseer, but guardian, it's literally the same Greek word translated to guardian. So Jesus Christ is our overseer. He's the head overseer. He's the guardian of our souls. Um, 
Now, you may be asking, okay, I mentioned overseer, but then I mentioned something called elder. What's that about? Those two different things. No. They're two different words. They're the same position. There's episcopos, which we talked about, and then presbyteros. It's referring to the same role. This is in 1 Timothy, or no, blah, blah, blah. Titus oh. 1, 5, and 7. Is that Carlo? Oh. Yeah, go for it. Titus 1, 5, and 7. Not 5, three, seven. No, no, not 30. Okay. 5, and. I left you on uh, the island of Crete so you could complete our work there and appoint elders in each town as I instructed you. Okay, so they're appointing elders. And what does 7 say? A church leader is a manager of God's household. So he must live a blameless life. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered. He must not be a heavy drinker, violent, or dishonest with money. Okay, you have NLT? Yeah. They let us down. Church leader is the same as overseer. They let us down. It's the same Greek word, overseer. So he's saying, appoint elders in this city, and then he gives a qualification. He says the overseer does this. Same thing in Acts 20, 17 and 28. That's a Lenny, right? Yes, you'll also be called further on. Right now, now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. He called the elders. Okay, elders. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to the, all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. He's talking to the same group of people here. He's saying he's gathered the elders and he's saying you guys are overseeing the flock. It's the same same position here. Two different words describing the same thing. Why two different words? Oh, one is the function or the purpose of the elder, which is overseeing. That's kind of their position. That's what they're doing. They're overseeing the church, making sure nothing bad happens. They're trying to see what Christ is leading. And then it's the character. Elder, right? Somebody old, an older believer. Terry's going to cover that. It's actually one of the qualities of an elder or an overseer is that they're an older believer. So just to end here, what do elders do? Why is it a big deal? First, they're facilitators of the church. So facilitators, they facilitate certain things. Um, they offer resources to people who are in need or spiritual insight. Respite ministry, Carlisle and Jamie. Respite ministry is what exactly? Uh, it is a day to be able to serve families who are affected by disability. Yes, so it's kind of like a miniature giant friend. Now, did the elders say, Jamie and Carlel, you must set up this ministry, and here's how you're to do it? No. How did this idea come about? Well, we got from Yeah. Johnny and friends, right? Mm -hmm. The Lord laid it upon your hearts that, hey, God's doing some cool stuff over here. We want to bring a little bit of that into what we got going on. Right? God had convicted your hearts. It's the same here. Elders aren't like, you must do this. Or do that. And you have no option. No, you went to the elders saying, hey, I think God's leading in this direction. We need some help. What do they do? Alright, let's get let's get it on, man. Let's get it started. And so it was a long process, right? Kind of bumpy for a while. And then it ended in a beautiful way, right? Because we're actually hosting the families here at our church. Instead of all this kind of loops we had to jump through with another church. Praise God. God answered that, right? God's behind that effort there, behind that ministry. And the elders facilitated that, right? Use the building. Here's when you can use the building, right? They're facilitating where God
God is leading. They're trying to give us resources, give us the knowledge to kind of start these kind of you know, convictions from God that we have in our hearts. So they're facilitators. They also communicate with God with direction for our fellowship. This is in Acts 6, verse 4. Come on. <laughs> there we go. Right. There we go. Well, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Okay, so this is a situation where there's people that need food and widows need to be taken care of. And so actually, this is the elders appointing deacons. We're going to talk about that next week. Deacons are the other authority position. But they said, instead of us doing this work, we're going to appoint some trustworthy people to do it. Right? People of good character. So we can devote ourselves to prayer and uh, to reading of God's word, right? reading of the word. And so they're communicating with the Lord, where is God headed? What is God doing? What is he up to today in our fellowship? What's he preparing us for? One of the things I think we're so privileged with in our fellowship at large is how much young come to our church, the youth. You. I was talking with somebody at Johnny Friends, actually three different people. One was a girl, she's about 20, 21. She's like, I got nothing but old people in my church. Thinking about leaving and trying to find a different one where I can actually do things and be involved. Now, her church back then wasn't really reaching the young, right? Another guy, or another girl, I think she's about 30, same kind of thing. Thinking about switching churches, there's not a lot of people my age, right? Not a lot of stuff to do, nothing to do. And there's this guy who actually came to our church for like a year or so, then he had to move back home to help with his family with disabilities. And he was even saying, like, after this Johnny Friends, like, actually, I'm, I really want to go back. There's nothing like it. Not because we're so awesome, brothers and sisters. Let us not forget who we're dealing with here, us. Because it's God. This is God's thing. This is God's work. Right? It's nothing from us. It's such a privilege that God's given us such influence over the young, especially college age. And so the elders are praying, they devote themselves to the word, where is God leading? Where, where does the Holy Spirit want to go? So that was the second one. So they, they're facilitators, they communicate with the Lord on direction. Thirdly, they develop competence to equip others. Right? Elders can't keep up with everything. We have four elders in our church. Keith, Kyle, Greg, and Neil. And some fake elders. That's okay. We got one nominated for an eldership, actually. Which is cool. uh, but they can't kill with everything, right? And so they need to raise up other people, discipling them, training them, offering LTC classes, right? We got the elders teaching that, mostly. Um, so they develop confidence. And we already covered that in Ephesians 4, right? They're raising up. God's giving these people to equip the church. Lastly, this is not an exhaustive list either, they shepherd the flock. In the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the good guardian. <laughs> Shepherds or overseers, elders, are to be guardians of the flock, not fleecing the flock. You know what fleecing the flock means? It means you let the wool grow up and then you just go... Take it all for yourself for a profit. Right? That's fleecing the flock. 
you see so much of that nowadays, you know, with um, money. Churches are all for money. Pastors got three big jumbo jets. Why? I don't know. <laughs> no actual reason that makes sense. You see a bunch of sex scandals, right? Fleecing the flock. Preparing, right? Being a predator. All these other scandals, too. That's not what an elder or an overseer is supposed to be. They're not supposed to be slaughtering the, the flock or fleecing the flock or hurting the flock. They're to be shepherding. They're to be guarding the flock. They stand between the wolf and the flock. This is in Acts 20, Eleni. So I'll end with this. Uh, 28-31. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to the, all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which you obtain with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease, night or day, to admonish every one of you. Everyone is here. Yes, this is Paul's kind of last departure from the church of Ephesus. He had stayed there three years, raising up these elders, teaching them all things. He's giving them a final warning. Be on guard. Be watching. There's going to be wolves coming in, trying to destroy what God has prepared in your fellowship, what he's doing in your midst. It's even going to come from the people that you think are good brothers and sisters in Christ. It's going to, it says it's going to come from within. Also within your group. So wolves coming from outside, but also wolves from within. And so the elders are kind of overseeing. They're protecting the flock. They're guarding the flock. What are the qualifications for an elder? Well, that's what Terry's going to talk about. Oh, come on up. So Rich is talking about authority, right? Um, what's that? Authority. Rich is talking about authority, about, about godly authority, right? About God's authority and about elder authority. That's what he's talking about. Mentioning specifically that Jesus Christ is the head over the church. Right? That's like a fact. And if, if we're not following Jesus, we're in bad troubles. Um, who, was in, uh, who was in Titus? Somebody had Titus 1. Oh, that was me, sir. Verse 5 again, just, just real quick. Or else if you don't have it, I'll just paraphrase our translation wasn't very good. Verse 7 was good. Verse 5 is fine. Verse 5 was perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I left you on the island of Crete so you could complete our work there and appoint elders. Appoint what? Elders. Appoint an elder? In each town. Appoint one elder? Elders. Elders. Appoint oh, elders. 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 Okay, so there's other verses that talk about this, about appointing more than one elder, about having... There be not one guy like Rich was talking about. Hey, the guy that's in charge, man, he's the guy in charge. God's word's not this way. We, we're supposed to have a plurality of leadership, a, a team of elders at each church. Not um, not this idea of one guy overseeing a bunch of churches, one guy overseeing one church. No, no, because Jesus' leadership is benevolent, right? He is all knowing, all powerful, good. And he can see into our hearts and he knows perfectly what's in our hearts and what each of us need. An elder is not so. An elder is not benevolent, is not all-knowing, cannot see deeply into your heart, into my heart, to know what's there. And so, so God set up in his church as the authority of his church, as guardians of his church, a group of elders, 
a group of people who who together can can come before the Lord in prayer, can come into the Word of God and understand the things of God, who can discern the will of God in this situation, who can discern together what's going on in your heart or my heart or their hearts. A group of men who can um, develop a spiritual unity, a unity of purpose, a unity of serving others, a beautiful time and experience of unity for these guys to, to come together before the authority of Christ and to share the authority of Christ with, with the church. It's a beautiful thing. They can come together and encourage one another. They can uh, be accountable to one another, spur one another on to love and good deeds, right? Um, they can rebuke each other and reprove each other, just like God calls us to do with each other. Because they're men, they're people too. They breathe and fog mirrors just like you and I fog mirrors. They still have a sin nature just like you and I have a sin nature. They're not exempt from that. God doesn't take that away from them. But these are godly men, godly people who are leading God's church. And that's the authority structure that, that Christ has set up. And as the elders seek and follow Jesus, things can be good. And as we uh, seek and follow Jesus and follow our elders, things can be good. Like Rich was saying, sometimes that's not the case. Sometimes the elder guy or the elder person or the, maybe even a couple of them are trying to fleece the flock. Maybe some of us have come from a place uh, where the leadership in the church was no good. Maybe some of us have been hurt by leadership in a church. I don't know. Um, if you're on Twitter at all these days, I see it all over the place. This person's complaining about this elder guy who abused this person. Uh, it's it's rampant. It's, it's, it's pandemic. How how uh, uh, how this is going through the church. At least the accusations against elders are going through the church like this. It won't take long for God to remove such a person from leadership. This is not the character of God. God's character is love. Eldership is all is all about uh, God's character, and it's about character. If the elders aren't following Jesus, God's going to take them away. If the people's aren't following Jesus and following the elders, that's not going to end well for us either. So it's in our best interest to pray for our elders because they are under all kinds of things. They're between us and the wolves. They're between us and disaster. They're the ones who are trying to discern for us what direction should we go with our fellowship? Where is God leading? What is God doing that we can join up with and be part of God's work among us? And so we need to pray for our elders so they can discern the things of God and share with us the things of God. Um, God will, Jesus will lead his church. They need our support. They need our love. They need our help. They need our prayers. Right? Um, that's the thing. And, and the truth is, although there's not like an appeal, like, oh my gosh, we're, we're in an emergency state and we need some more elders, we should pray for more elders. We should pray in our church for the elders that we have. Be grateful for the elders that we have. And we should pray that God raise up more godly men among us. What, what a beautiful thing that would be if God were to raise up more godly men among us. And he would, he would do beautiful things among us. Praise God for those kind of things. Um, who was in 1 Timothy, Lindsay? Yeah. Was, was that you? Yeah. So what does it say in 1 Timothy 3, verse 1? Verse 1, it yeah. says, It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to be... Aspires to the office of overseer. It is a fine work he desires to do. 
If anyone aspires, if anyone has ambition to be an overseer, ambition to be an elder, that's a fine thing that you want to, that you desire to do. And a lot of times we look at ambition and we think, gosh, that guy's ambitious. He just is looking out for himself. Like Richard's saying, not what this is talking about. Leadership in God's church is a matter of character. It's always a matter of character. The character of God is love. Rich, uh, John, heck up. I got an R here that says read this. Um, Philippians 2, 2 through 8. You could read that. And so, so here's the character of God, right? Philippians 2, 2 through 8. Yes, thank you. Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit of one mind, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Okay, let me stop you there. Not looking out for your own interests, but looking out for the interests of others. This is insight into the character of God. Right? This is the God of the universe, the God that created. If you wake up before dawn tomorrow, you'll be able to see five planets lined up along with the moon. Mercury all the, all the horizon um, and all the way up to, to uh, Saturn. You'll be able to see him tomorrow morning um, if you get up early. You might need binoculars to see Mercury. But, but the creator God of the universe loves us and has his heart set on our best interest, your best interest and my best interest, more than I have my heart set on my best interest. Believe me, I'm thinking about my best interest all the dang time. I'm usually wrong about what I think is in my best interest. But God thinks, God thinks about me more than I think about me, and he loves me more than I love me. He loves my family more than I love my family. And he's in a position to do something about it. Keep going. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So this is the character of God. He came to this earth and he humbled himself and he died. Why would he do that? Like it I don't know how many times I've read over that and thought, wow, that's really cool, really cool. But it, it struck me today, like, why would he do that? Why would God inject himself, insert himself into this creation, into this cesspool of humanity? And why would he die? Why would he do you want to answer, T? We'll just, we'll just let it fish for a minute. We'll just let it, let it fester. So there's, there's, two things, there's two things I think. Our, our sin, like Rich was saying, our sin separates us from God. Like God is holy and just and pure and good. And if we're honest with ourselves, we're not. I am selfish and self-seeking and self-centered 
and thinking about me and neglecting my wife, what can make me feel good right now? Or what can make me feel good tomorrow? Or how can I get out of doing this? Or how can I get out of doing that? This is the nature of my heart. And the nature of God's heart. And, and so this, this sin in my life, thinking about me and wanting to be like, like Satan wants to be like God. I want to be like God because I'm, I think I'm all that. And if we're honest with ourselves, we think we're all that. I think I'm all that. And I'm just not. And so God, in His benevolence and in His love, He sees the predicament that we're in. And he, and Jesus came to this earth. He was born a baby. A vulnerable baby. And He grew up and died on a cross because of His love. Because in His benevolence and in His love for us, He saw that the only way that we could relate with God, the only way that He could relate with us, is if he took this sin problem out of the way from between us and him. And so Jesus came and died on a cross to pay the penalty for our sin so that we could be reconciled back to him. So because of his great love and because of our great sin, Jesus came and died for you and for me. And this is the character of God. Love in action. This is what's going on. Um, a similar thing to what you were reading, uh, Rich. Jesus said to his disciples, um, I am among you as one who serves. And that's a cool statement to think about. Jesus is sitting having dinner with his buds, and he says, I am among you as one who serves you. Now I want to just pull the curtain back a little bit and, and say what's going on in Luke chapter 22. Before that, the guys had just been having this uh, this. Uh, Passover meal with Jesus. Jesus washed their feet because those guys, the disciples, the disciples, the leaders of the church, were arguing about who was the greatest among them after Jesus got done washing their feet. And he says the same thing. The, the, the Gentiles lorded over each other, but it's not to be so among you. I am among you as one who and so this is the servant leadership, the servant love of God, the character of God, his love in action. Um, heaven. Heaven's going to be 1 John 4, uh, 7 and 8 and 19. Please. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who love, loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. God is love. Yeah, keep going. Verse 19. love, because he first loved us. We love because we first, he first loved us. Yep. The character of God is love. When, when, that's where he came, love and action. He came to, to model for us love. He came to say, hey, God is love. You should love also. John says, or in John's gospel, Jesus says, the peoples will know that you guys are my disciples. They'll know that you follow me because you love. They'll know, they'll, you guys will reflect my character and it will show up in love to others. That's how people will know that you're my followers, because you act like me. You have love, and you offer love and action to people. Um, and so this is this is what Timothy said, or Paul says in this letter. The goal of our instruction is love. It's the whole thing. That's what's going on. That's that's the character of God is love and action. Uh, the character of an elder, right, is is love and action. Um, the servant of all, servant love, servant leadership is what we're talking about. 
Um, God calls all of us generally to this, to, to love one another. Um, that's his direction for all of us generally. Um, so that I want to just sit there for a minute, and I want to let Tim talk about um, his time at Johnny and Friends. So let's think about love and action as Tim's talking about this. Hello, everyone. I'm Tim. I uh, just got back from serving at... Hi, Tim. Hello. Hi, Timothy. Hi, Brenda. I just got back from serving at the Johnny and Friends family retreat. I do want to go in a little bit more detail of kind of what we're just going into. Like two of the main goals that we had in this family retreat, one was having this individual love and attention to the kids or the adults with disabilities and also their, their uh, siblings. To have them that time and attention be able to serve them in that way where they might not be able to get otherwise. And also, on the flip side of that, the main goal was to give the families a break. To have that time where they don't have to constantly be taking care of their kids, allow them to have the time for themselves. And it is quite a beautiful thing there. This was my first time serving here. A few of the others uh, were here as well this last week. My experience, though, with Johnny and Friends, kind of God starting to work in my heart, started weirdly even before I arrived. About an hour away from getting to the camp, my car broke down on the side of the road, and I had no clue what I was going to do. I tried getting hold of the um, tow company, and nobody was going to be able to fix the car. It was a Sunday afternoon. Nobody was open and whatnot, and even if I could tow myself there, I was still an hour away from the camp, so I had no way to get in there. As I was doing that, Mike Kudak, uh, who's the part of a church, but he's also one of the coordinators for Johnny and Friends, he called me up and let me know if there was a family willing to pick me up and tow my car all the way there. Holy mackerel. Which, it was a mind-blowing thing, and I did not expect that in any way. <laughs> and so an hour later, they show up in this tiny little wooden trailer. Somehow, we miraculously were able to push the car in there. And all that is, like, there was no room at any side to be able to do anything there. <laughs> but there were four people that showed up there, a whole family. One of them was a six-year-old boy. I don't know how much a six-year-old boy can help tow a car, but he was there. And it was uh, actually pretty beautiful. Um, on the whole hour and car ride back, him and I just got to talking. And granted, he loves talking, so it was not a hard thing. But <laughs> him and I really started hitting it off, and it was really cool, and got to meet some more of his uh, family members, his father, uncle, his grandpa, were all there in the car as well. And it was just beautiful. The grandpa, who's one that towed me, he was even willing to drive my car to the dealership a half hour away the next day. Still wanted no money, didn't want my help. He was willing to do all this myself. And that was a pretty big, humbling thing for me. So I'm someone who is not, I don't like being served. I like if I feel like I have the ability to do something that I want to do it, I want to be in that control to be able to do that. So that was a very unnatural thing to allow myself to serve there. Uh, and there's also just this whole family here that 
I could just see, even from that first Sunday, that God was starting to show me uh, and starting to work through my heart, through his family. And I was not too surprised the next morning where Mike pulled me inside and said, yeah, we kind of changed your assignment for your camper. And I was not surprised where an hour later, it turned out to be the six-year-old boy that I got to really know in car. His name was Brent. <laughs> really cool kid. Uh, so I got to hang out with him for a while. Even his uh, three-year-old brother. Really, really fun family. Met the mother, the father, grandma, grandpa, everyone. And they were great. And I can definitely see God putting this family in my life. And they even live like 20 minutes away, so not bad at all. I'm still not 100% sure for what reason God's putting them in my life. I do still see that as true. Um, yeah, Brenton, he was just a kind of a really fun, high-energy six-year-old kid. And we just had a lot of fun, a lot of blasts and all that. However, on Tuesday, I come back to dinner after break. And Mike pulls me aside again and says, yeah, change of plans. <laughs> so he's been hearing that I was doing some really great things. And it was hard to see this change, but there was need elsewhere. There was another family that was in more need of mine. So it took me a huge back that was not expecting this at all. I was confronted before dinner. But I took that leap and I told them that, I will serve you and help you wherever you need me to go. Which was a pretty big statement to say, because when I found out kind of who my camper was, he was the exact opposite of who I asked to not be placed with uh, Johnny Friend. My two stipulations were, one, he was not too young, and two, that he was not a runner. <laughs> <laughs> so lo and behold, I get the youngest camper at the camp, he was two years old and was a runner. So, uh, yeah, I can see that a little bit there. And uh, his mother and I were strong suspecting he was suffering for, from ADHD, so he was all over the uh, place there. His name was uh, Julian. He was actually the little brother of uh, Rich's camper, Zane, yeah. So, yeah, I got to hang out with Rich a lot this week. It was pretty cool. Uh, so this little boy was the exact opposite of Brenton. He, I had zero control of what he was doing. So he would go everywhere. He would run around, play around. Every 30 seconds, he would jump to the next toy. Could hardly sit still. There was no hope I could do any kind of uh, activity or programming with him. Our best hope was kind of at the pool. We probably spent like 18 to 20 hours at the pool at least. I'd say 30. <laughs> well, you were there probably more than I was before. Indoor pool, though, luckily. Uh, pool time was the best time with both of the boys. That's where they were both the calmest. They were, they were the happiest and the most playful. Because my boy really wanted nothing to do with me. Because he basically kind of ignored I was there. My entire basically default mostly was around falling around a two-year-old. Because there wasn't much else we could do with them outside of the pool. At least in the pool, I could literally keep them alive because they need a, a vest stop. <laughs> so it's like I could really see God working through me. And this second sense of the second kid would give up my control. It's like, like what I was saying about being served is 
I like being in control. I like taking charge. And where this boy is, I had zero of that. I had, other than being able to pick him up and move him somewhere, even that, I was still had a very hard time controlling him because he would just run back to where he was. <laughs> it's like I was very exhausted very quickly, and it didn't necessarily feel like I was immediately getting anything back. Like it didn't feel immediately rewarding when I was there, but I'll definitely get more into that later. A lot of the big thing you'll learn at Johnny and Friends is when you're there to serve, you're not there for about yourself. You're not there to be served, but to serve. And that was something that some of the other uh, volunteers that were with my uh, camper and Rich's camper, that they just weren't understanding and they weren't working out. Because there were a total of five volunteers with our two campers. At one point, there were four of us. And by the end of the week, it was just Rich and I. And we were able to kind of hold down the fort. It was a big thing, which being someone who's willing to put the neck out for them to have that attention and dedicate time to them. Serving in general was a lot. It was not about glorifying yourself, like I said, but to show you that you love and care about these little boys and their family. To show you that of the God's love gave to you, you can bestow upon them, even if two years old, pretty much nonverbal as well, and same with him, is like they don't really understand necessarily the things you're telling them, but you can show them that love and stealth. But also, it was the right thing to do. And even though through all that exhaustion, like there were still a lot of moments where it was pretty beautiful with this little boy that made it feel so much more worthwhile. That there was a moment he was pushing, pulling me through a, in a cart, which was really <laughs> fun. <laughs> Got a picture of that today. He's so small, dude. <laughs> yeah, two-year-old pushing a 200-pound man uh, yeah. in a wagon. That was, it was fun. <laughs> but it was like all oh, the moments like where he was just kind of being opening up and playing with me. Uh, even when I was saying goodbye to him, he hugged me, and I was pretty close to tears then as well. And the family, they've told multiple times now how appreciative that we were able to do this family. Like, this was their first ever family vacation. And they felt so loved by everyone at the camp, especially Rich and I, for taking our time out to uh, serve these boys. And also, on a more personal note as well, a lot of what I was hoping to get out of Johnny Friends was kind of a preparation for my upcoming marriage in a few months. And both of the things I was kind of learning here of allowing myself to be served and also to giving up that control, that absolute control, were things that will help me so much uh, coming up there. Whenever Eric and I tie the knot there. Hey. And it's like, if any of you guys are, would be interested in Johnny Friends, I highly recommend it. There's another one coming out next month and also next year there'll always be more Johnny Friends anyway. It is a really cool moment to be able to serve, put yourself aside for that week. And God always finds a way to put the campers and the family in your lives that you need most to be able to show you things that you need to learn. So, so let me see. So what you're saying is you were able to be a blessing to this family. You guys both, yes. all you guys that served, were able to be a blessing to the family. That's pretty cool that you're able to go and serve them selflessly. But I think I also heard you say that you were blessed 
while you were serving. That it was good for someone else for you to serve them, but it was good for you to serve them. For you to be, um, depending on God, outside of what's comfortable, Mm -hmm. to love somebody else. And as you did that, as you grew closer to God, and more dependent on God, following Jesus, He showed you and enabled you, empowered you, to love somebody. And as you saw your difficulty loving somebody, you were drawn closer to Jesus, more dependent on Jesus, to love them better. So you were a blessing, and you were blessed. It was good for them, and it was good for you. Doesn't that sound cool? Doesn't that just sound, this is the way God has set it up. For us to, to all go into this kind of servant love, self-sacrificial love, under God's authority, to bless people, to be a blessing, um, and to be blessed. Fill with the love of God. This is something, this is something that's so exciting and so good. This is uh, God's desire and God's direction for all of us that we grow closer to one another, to love and serve, that we grow closer to God, to love and serve others in need. And in turn, we'll be, we'll be served and loved by God in, in, that, in that same way. It's, it's fulfilling and satisfying to love other people. And this is the, this is the nature of, of eldership. Wouldn't that be cool instead of just for a week if it was for a life? And so God's transforming our character. And uh, Lindsay, would you be willing to read some more still? Yeah. First uh, Timothy two, seven, two through. Sorry, slow down. First Timothy three, two through seven. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna bust this out. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church's back? And not a new convert so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church, so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Okay. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And we'll go through some of these, not all these, at some in some detail, probably not a lot of detail. But what I, what I want to first say is, like we read this thing, and, and we're talking about qualifications to be the leader of God's church. Right? Um, educated. Master's degree, maybe in theology. Um, coming from a good family. Maybe a good upbringing. Maybe the right side of the tracks. Maybe the person comes from the right side of the tracks, right? Um, wealthy. Powerful. Charismatic, right? These are the qualifications of the leader in God's church. No. None of those things. None of those things are mentioned because it's all about character. It's the character of a leader in God's church. Because it's his church. Um, and all of the thing is that it's not about how smart we are or about how well we speak 
um, or about any of these kind of, any of our own abilities. God will equip the willing to do his work. And so he's looking for us to come before him and say, God, I'm willing for you to change my character, to transform me into someone who loves. And maybe it's towards an elder. Um, maybe some of us here will be an elder. Maybe none of us here will be an elder. Maybe many of us here will be an elder. I don't know. That's God's calling and not mine. But what I do know is that the Bible calls all of us to aspire to, to, to grow into these kinds of things. Right? Um, and like Rich was saying also, we come before God on a level playing field. None of us has an advantage over any of the others when it comes to uh, the salvation of God given freely through Christ. None of us has an advantage over any of the other of us when it comes to coming before God and saying, God, I want to serve you. I want you to transform me into one who serves. It's all level. We all have the same opportunity to come before God and say these things. So let's go through them. We're going to kind of do this a little quick, but it's going to be pretty fun. Um, above reproach. That's the first thing. Like the elder has to have a good reputation. He's not a cheapskate. He's not a, a swindler. He's not all these kinds of things. Um, it doesn't mean to say that he's perfect and without sin, but what it means to say is that he's seeking after God and that he has a good reputation. People speak well of him. People in the church, and we'll see later people outside the church, speak well of this guy. Not that he's necessarily a man pleaser, but, but that he has a good reputation. He's, he's above being accused of wrongdoing, right? Or if, he, if there is some wrongdoing, he's, he's quick to repent and confess and to, and to come back to God. He's to be the husband of one wife. Um, this is like a... This was in a day of polygamy that, that Paul wrote this. Um, so it, it means it meant something a little different to them than it means to us. We've got all kinds of questions. Does that mean? What does that mean? What, 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 what? It means that he's committed to his wife. Um, that's what it means. Um, so if the guy's not married, it means he uh, is not chasing tail all around. It means he's not chasing after every girl that goes by. It means that he's not filling his heart with lustful things. He's not... He's not chasing girls all the time. That's what it means. It means if he's married, that he's committed to one wife. He's committed to his wife in love and for her good. That's what that's talking about. Um, he is satisfied with the one whom he loves, not chasing other women. So it says that he's temperate. The elder is temperate, and that kind of means, it kind of means sober, but sober-minded, right? Like uh, clear thinking, self-control. He's not just uh, crazy. You know, you, you, he's kind of predictable sometimes. Um, respectable. That kind of is what it says. He's modest um, and honorable. And so again, these are character qualities of an elder. This is one that's different than the uh, deacons. He's supposed to be hospitable. What is that? Hospitable. Like welcoming. Who said it? Welcoming. Welcoming. That's exactly what it means. Um, inviting to people. He's, he's inviting people into his home, inviting people into his life, inviting people in his heart, because he's got the love of God in his heart to share. That's why he's so inviting. This one's different than the deacons, too. He's able to teach. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that he's a polished guy who uh, you know went to the, the teaching school and um, learned all the teaching techniques and, and all that stuff. But what it means is he, can, he knows God's word. And he can share it with people. 
whether it's a big group of people or a small group of people or someone at the park or on a plane. It means he can accurately handle the Word of God. He's able to teach others the Word of God. And so, so that's what, uh, what that's all about. Not addicted to wine. This one means actually sober. Um, not an addict of any kind. Not a substance abuser. It's hard to lead the people of God when your mind is foggy. It's hard to be in communion with the God of the universe when your mind is foggy. When my mind is foggy, I think of things that aren't God. I'll be honest. Uh, I think of me more than I think of me when I'm sober. Uh, and so that's, that's the way. And so the elder of God, the guy who the guy who God would have lead his church, should be sober and sober-minded, clear-headed, gentle and peaceable. This means what it says: friendliness, not gruff, but again approachable, inviting, like we were talking about before. Um, free from the love of money. Maybe the, the elder of God, the God of the leader of God's church, has the character of God, and he's generous, not greedy. He's giving, not taking. Um, and, and these things really, they add up to say that the elder of God is, is, is not chasing things in the creation for satisfaction, but he's satisfied with God. Because God's good. Right? And he wants things for us. It, it says here, not a new convert. Um, so a, an elder in the church of God. God is not going to grant authority in his church to a new convert. One who maybe isn't trained in the word. One who maybe hasn't been through some hardship and, and some character development yet. Um, because what happens with a new convert, with, with young people, is well, young people are arrogant to start with. We're all <laughs> arrogant to start with. Um, young people are, I think, are well, at least used to be more arrogant. They haven't been beat down yet. Um, and this is exactly the temptation that the devil fell into. He got full of himself and thought he could be like God. And it's a danger to the young new believer to be put in a position like this because. He can get full of himself, and then he, then he can't leave God's people because he's full of himself instead of full of God. So take some precautions there. So these are like the character qualifications of an elder. This is what an elder looks like um, character-wise. And maybe, maybe I meet most of these. Maybe you meet most of these characteristics. I don't know. Praise God. If, if your character has been developed by God, praise Him that your name is in the book of life. Praise Him that He's been working your heart to transform your life. But remember this. He's not done transforming your heart. Um, and and that's, that's the thing with all of us. He's not finished with you. Uh, he's worked with us yet. Um, he's not finished. Maybe eldership is on your heart. That's a noble thing that you, that you aspire to. Take that before the Lord. If you're serious about that, take that before the Lord and ask God to continue developing your character such that when, when there's a need and when the time is right, you can be ready. Now, like I said, maybe most of us won't be an elder. 
But that doesn't mean that these characteristics aren't still what God calls us to. God still wants to transform our heart. Maybe I can see some of these characteristics in me. Maybe I can see Maybe Maybe I'm having trouble seeing any of these things in my heart. Um, remember this. How, how, can we, how can we develop these things? Come to Jesus. Enter into a relationship with the creator of the universe, with the, with the one who can change your heart. Because the truth is, no matter how much I try on my own, I can't change my heart. I can't make myself love people. I can't make myself lose weight. I can't make myself get out of bed in the morning. Right? When it even comes to my own heart, I'm pretty limited. But the, the God of the universe, who knows my heart and knows what's good for my heart, is at work. And if you come to him and offer your life to him, he is willing and able to change your heart into this kind of person. The kind who can selflessly love at Johnny and Friends. And can, who can be a blessing and be blessed by loving other people. Um, Jesus died for us. And when he died for us, when we received him, he made a promise to, um, to do good work in us. And he made a promise to finish the good work that he started in us. Jesus is committed to finishing the good work in his heart that he started. He's committed to that. He died on the cross to start it. By golly, it's going to be easier for him to finish it. It's going to be in his interest to finish it. And that's what he wants to do. Um, what, what maybe is the thing, does God have something for you to walk right into right now? Um, if, if you're interested in these things, look through this passage with some of your friends in your cell group. Look through 1 Corinthians 13. Look through... Um, oh, shoot. There's more. Um, Philippians 2, Galatians 5. Look through this passage. Study these passages. Pray about these passages. God, change my heart. That's a prayer he'll answer. It's God's will and His desire that He transforms our character into His image. Um, and one more thing. Maybe it is that, that as we're trying to develop these things and as we're, as we're praying about this, we don't have to wait around until it's done. right? God has things right in front of us right now. God prepared beforehand good works for us to walk in right now. Right where we're at, there's somebody that we can love in a way that's sacrificial for us, but a blessing to them. God has put those things in our life. His word says. His word is true. I create good works for you that you can walk in. That's what Jesus wants for us. He wants us all to be transformed into his image. This is difficult. Is it worthwhile? Would you do it again? Yeah. Following God is worthwhile. Laying down your life for others is worthwhile. Having your, your character transformed by the God who loves you is worthwhile. And so, if you're interested in that, great. Let's do these things. Let's pursue these things. Let's pursue the next thing, the next service that God has right in front of you. If you don't know what it is, ask Him. He'll tell you. Well, let's pursue these things. Um, what's holding us back? What holds me back from loving you? 
my own selfishness, my own laziness, my forgetfulness of the character and nature of God. That's what holds me up. So let's see if we can lay that aside for a minute and pursue someone in love. God will change our character as we love you. I think I'm going to stop this plate. <laughs> it's very good. Longest day of the year. Yeah. So why don't we take a five-minute break and do the second half yeah. of the teaching? <laughs> Holy shit. Well, no. Yeah, so I hope uh, you're edified a little bit. But why don't we do like two or three questions or comments and we'll pray and we'll hang out. Maybe go inside. Maybe outside. It's pretty nice. Oh, pretty nice out here. Bug spray is inside. Oh, bug spray is inside. I didn't bring some. Any co- with the chairs. There it is. I see it. Any comments or questions, or should we pray? No. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't know if this is a comment or a question, but I really find it very interesting that this uh, is a teaching by Greg Lord, Pastor Greg Lord. What was Harvest? Yeah, Harvest. Yeah, yeah. I think it was a possible. Uh, spiritual attack for you, but you mentioned about how, you know, when you enter into the role of deacon or uh, elder, it's like you, you do succumb yourself to a higher spiritual attack. Yeah. Yes. Which is why I think a lot of those uh, cases come out where, like, leader deacons or pastors of the church or whatever have these issues that they've been going through, and then church unfolds from there. I think it, a big reason for that is, uh, and I think Satan definitely knows that if he can attack the leader of the church, that you know the church can unfold from there. And I was thinking too, like just in regards to what I've seen in our in our churches from my eyes, is that another side of that too is like Satan will feed lies to us in regards to the ownership or to the deacons or something like that. Where lies or deception or whatever and causes conflict, bitterness that builds up over time. Uh, and it's it's uh it's reassuring what you guys mentioned about like these guys are chosen or appointed by God. They're servants, they're they have to answer to God. He yeah. is the boss. And it's like he's gonna take care of them if they are not leading the flock the correct way. Mm-hmm. I thought that was that was really cool. It's a, it's a good realization too of like I can't imagine the spiritual attack that they go through. Right. I, I have much love, but I can imagine how fierce it is for an elder or for a deacon. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, Satan, Satan knows that's how he can divide the church through um, attacking the, the elders. Yeah. 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 They'll want to bring down leadership. That's why it's so critical to pray. Pray for the elders. Pray for the families. Pray for their walk with God. Um, pray for their marriages. Pray for their hearts. Yes, it's critical to do that. It's in our best interest to pray for our leaders. Yeah. yeah, I was thinking too, kind of on the flip side of that, a little bit along with what you were saying, like, it's it's a heavier weight, yeah. right, that they're carrying. And so, I did a stint for a while where I worked for the Catholic Church, and the, um, the, the head priest or the father or whatever, I, I'm pretty sure he wasn't even a believer, right? And so, he was all about the money, and it was blatantly, uh, it was just gross to me, right? Whatever. But I was also thinking about like these people that do that are given authority and do fix the flock. It's not going to go well for them at the right. end of the day. Yeah. 
I mean, they're eventually going to have to stand before the creator of the universe and answer for what they have done to these people. It's, that, to me, is like, oh, you know, it's terrifying to think about. And I'm like, do you know, do they know that? Do they, you know, it's weird. It's just weird. They're self-aware of what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Some back is fear, you know, that's being a wisdom back up. Astonishing. Yeah. Just money grabbing. Yeah. In the name of God. Like I said, and the truth is, our sinfulness makes us blind to the things of God. So much so that we're we're blind to our blindness. Yeah. Like we we think we know, but we don't. We we have eyes to see but don't see. Female deacons, lots of them. Not very clear on female elders, but there is one. At, but there is one in Columbus. Yeah. But this, but this was written at a time where, um, like, women weren't allowed to testify in court. Women weren't allowed to own property. All, all this stuff, like, women didn't have rights at all. Um, and so, it, it's unclear in Scripture if if that is uh, like intentional that women shouldn't be elders, or if it just wouldn't wouldn't work then. That's um, unclear. I can tell you that, that the stuff we talked about, all those all those character things are character things, and those are things of character. And, uh, women have character too. It's possible. It's possible for women to have character. And one of the things. And one of the things it says is they should be able to teach, and there were teachers, women teachers in the Old Testament. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Last week's teaching, Lenny and Lindsay, lots of uh, women leaders, women Old leaders. Testament and New Testament. So why so. couldn't they be elders? Right. So that's that's one of the arguments for it. So, yeah, it's unclear, but I I would think so. But it's it's unclear. Well, if there's no difference between Jew and Gentile and male and female, why would it make a difference? That's a good point. But there is all standing before God is saying, right? Yeah. yeah. Same for God's sake. Maybe not the position, because there's husbands and wives. So this position either married or marriage is one of Or male oh, I see. husband and wife are yeah. equal before God in yeah. position. So anyway, who knows? May the Lord reveal that. Let us pray. I'm gonna help people pray and then Terry, you want to close it down? We can hang sure. out. Father in heaven, uh, thank you, Lord, for Supplying our church with such uh, wonderful teachers, uh, very knowledgeable, very thorough. I just give you thanks, Lord, that uh, uh, that we have such abilities within this church. And yes, Lord, thank you for the youth that we have in this church. Uh, appreciate you. Wish I had a little bit more of it myself. But uh, just give you thanks, Lord, that you supply our church with so many teachers with such tremendous ability. I just thank you for that. Yeah. yeah, Jesus, and I want to thank you too. The fact is that you're not a God of chaos, you are a God of order. Mm -hmm. And I thank you that you have set this in, in place. And it's totally opposite the way the world system leadership is developed. 
Um, and so I thank you for that. I thank you that there is order in your church. I thank you that there is, you know, just a way of doing things. But it's in order to facilitate love. Yeah. And that's beautiful, Jesus. So I just thank you for that. And I pray, I do want to pray um, for our elders and for our deacons and just for our fellowship that we would just continue to, to move in a way that you want us to move in a way that's loving in our communities and our homes and, and all the things, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you are leading this church. Thank you, Jesus, that you empower uh, your spirit comes on us, and uh, you empower us to do things for you, that you change our character from within. Um, Lord, we are helpless to change our own character. Um, we are helpless to save ourselves from sin. We are helpless to figure out what to do. Uh, but you are benevolent and always willing to, uh, to share your heart with us, to share your character with us, to share your will with us. As we submit to you, as we follow you, as we seek you. And so I pray for hearts for that, Lord. I pray for our, our leadership of the elders and the deacons, the deacons of this church, the leaders of this, of this fellowship, um, our home group. Lord, I pray that you uh, you continue to strengthen them, that you strengthen their marriages. Uh, I pray for their walks with you, that they would be drawn to seek you evermore. Lord, you are uh, compassionate and joyful. Uh, you are loving, and, and that's what you want to transform us into. And so I pray that, that as the leaders follow you, that we would follow you as well, and that we would be unified in you, um, and that you would do amazing things among us. Because you do, uh, you do want to grow your kingdom, and you want to use us for that very purpose. Uh, so we pray for that as well. We pray for these things in Jesus' name, and for his glory, for your glory. Amen. 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 Oh, oh, oh. Oh. Oh.